they claim that our eyes will just be created a slightly different from what they are when we talk to see things are. strange familiars if you've seen something strange bigfoot a ghost ufo anything paranormal or if you have a story you think we should cover you can email us strange familiars podcast at gmail.com another way you can contact us to tell your story is to call us and leave a voicemail message at 717-347-8554 if your message gets cut off you can call back and continue your story At this point, I am so backed up on interviews that that is a great way to get me your story and to get featured on the show, especially if you have a shorter story or a weird encounter. Again, that phone number is 717-347-8554. Happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. Hope everybody has a great holiday. The show's dropping early this week, but it's a heck of a show. Tonight, I am speaking with Ira, who has an amazing story about the Capre, a Bigfoot-like creature which entered an area in a remote island of the Philippines. It's an amazing, amazing story, and Ira is a fantastic storyteller. So you are in for a treat this Thanksgiving week. If you like what we do, if you like Strange Familiars and you enjoy the content we put out, you can support us by being a patron I always thank our patrons every show, because without our patrons, we could not make Strange Familiars. So thank you, patrons. If you'd like to help and become a patron, go to Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Our patrons get full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. We at least do one. Often we do more. And there are all kinds of other levels of support there as well. Go ahead and check it out at patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a ongoing subscription like Patreon and you want to help, there is a paypal.me link in the show notes for every episode at strangefamiliars.com. Everybody can help by sharing the show on social media, liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, and giving us those nice five-star ratings, which do help the podcast get in front of new listeners. So now let's get to Ira's story. All right, tonight we're talking with Ira, who contacted me with a really amazing story of something like Bigfoot in the Philippines. I'll just let you take it away, and I'll ask questions as we go along. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Tim. Uh, well, uh, as Tim said, my name's Ira. I am an American born and raised in the Philippine Islands. I uh, moved here to the United States when I was 16 years old. And my parents and uh, the rest of us stayed here for just a couple of years, and they moved right back to the Philippines, leaving me here to attend college and so on. Uh, I uh, retired from my uh, work here in the United States in 2015. And having done that, 
wondering what you're going to do and so on, because I was only 58 at the time. My sister uh, contacted me. She lives in the Philippines in Manila, the capital city, and asked me, would I be interested in coming down to uh, the Philippines, but not just there, go all the way down to the southernmost island called Mindanao, and take on a project that they wanted uh, done, but essentially couldn't find anybody to do. And I said, well, sure, but why can't you find anybody to do it? Well, it turns out that this particular island, and anyone can look it up, Mindanao is a fairly dangerous place. As an example, it's on the uh, State Department and the U.S. Embassy Manila's no-go zone list. It's got a lot of uh, civil unrest, and it's just a troubled area. It is the only island in the uh, 7,000 island chain uh, in the country that is under martial law, and still is right now. It was declared when I arrived there. So in 2015, I said, look, that'd be no problem. I'm going to do it. Hopped on a plane with my golden retriever, Mikey, uh, and we wound up in Manila, stayed there for just a few days, and got on domestic air flights and made our way down to that southernmost island. Once we arrived there, we uh, landed at an airport, fairly uh, dinky little airport, but doable, in a uh, town called Cagayan de Oro. From that airport, we had a truck rental and the driver arranged my sister and I to go up to this land that they had purchased back in 1980 and uh, we had an accommodation close by so we went up there and it was about a uh, three and a half hour journey up mountain now when I say uh, up mountain I really do mean that you uh, land at the coast and as you leave the city of Cagayan de Oro and you head to the left and start going uphill, uh, the population becomes quite sparse. Uh, you go through some army checkpoints, three of them. Once you go through the last one, you still have about an hour and a half to go before you reach our destination. And that last one, they, you know, they want to know what they look in the vehicle guns bristling and all of this and they want to know what are two foreigners because after all i look like any average sort of an american caucasian person i can speak the language of the country and i know the ways of the country but you know they these people don't know that until you open your mouth sure and they look in and want to know what in the heck are you going up beyond us this last checkpoint essentially up in a no-man's land. What are you doing? And we told them, we got land up there. We're going to go up there and uh, see if we can find it, claim it. And they said, okay, you know, and off we went. And this was probably close to midnight at that time. So it was pitch dark, no street lights, no police, no army, no nothing. And off we went over riverbeds and little tiny dirt jungle roads. This driver was from up there and he knew where he was going. We arrived at our destination 
and essentially made camp. So that was that. Now, fast forward to uh, about eight months later, uh, living in the bush, my sister stayed only a few days and went back to civilization, back up to Manila, and left me there essentially as foreman. I had to find workers. I had to find uh, equipment. I found that we had no electricity, no hope of electricity for power tools of any kind. Anyway, those things were overcome me by walking uh, up and down the jungle pass with my very unusual dog over there, my Mikey <laughs> and I, hollering in the fields asking, uh, you know, the odd person, the farmer, they have these little strips of land, like a hectare, which is just under a couple of acres, I think 2.6 or 2.4 acres, that uh, they um, farm with tobacco, just subsistence farming. These people um, are very, very, uh, they're very good people, uh, but they are non-materialistic and they are fiercely in love with their land and don't trust outsiders. Imagine, you know, one of them sees a, a guy coming up onto his dirt and saying, hey, I have a question for you. <laughs> you work for me for a couple of weeks, maybe even a month. And if you have any friends, would they like work? Uh, eventually, I was able to obtain a crew of six. And they're a good crew. They're my good friends to this day, or uh, most of them are. The uh, project, uh, you know, went not as planned. The plan uh, was made literally every morning when I got up. Okay, what can we accomplish today? And of course, uh, getting down to the very first task, because we had no hope of tractors or mechanized, I had to cut down a lot of very huge old growth jungle trees. These are Acacia magnum, uh, what would be the equivalent of the eucalyptus and Philippine mahogany and a lot of huge, believe it or not, in the Philippines, pine trees. We were up at an, at an elevation of about 4,500 feet. So it's an unusual uh, tribal highland area where the nights are cool, the days don't go over the mid-80s, rarely go over the mid-80s. And uh, it's a really unspoiled and gorgeous place. It is just a place without any amenity whatsoever. No uh, grocery store, no post office, no mailboxes, no garbage pickup. And absolutely nothing. Sounds amazing. Nothing whatsoever. It sounds amazing. You know, uh, as I wrote to you, uh, I mentioned I stepped from that airport down below where we landed. That was the last bit. We left that last checkpoint and uh, went into the dark. It was an absolute another world all the way. It it was astounding to me because I grew up there. I'd been to the countryside on the island that I uh, grew up on called Luzon. Sure, it's kind of, uh, you know, like going back into the 1920s or 1930s and but this was a completely different place altogether, just uh, completely different. And, and by the way, the people, they uh, are called the Tala Andig people. 
there are seven tribes in this mountainous region. None of them like each other. They were warring until quite recently. They stopped about three years before I arrived in 2015. But they still fiercely guard their borders. You know, this valley over there is his. That valley over there is ours. And don't you dare cross that line. And there is a tribal council headed by Datu Vic. Datu Vic is the overseer of all seven tribes. One of the pictures I sent to you, I'm standing next to uh, Datu Vic. Very uh, wise man, speaks English. He has been to the United States and addressed Congress, as a matter of fact, in one form or another. I'm not sure how that took place, but he is quite the person. But he still lives, insists on living in his uh, hut on stilts up a mud trail and follows all the old ways. If you can believe that. It's just incredible. That sounds like These it. It people, sounds amazing. It, it, it was quite amazing. These people, um, I want to mention just to sort of frame things, are extremely uh, animist in uh, nature. In other words, they, they just don't trust Muslim Catholic, Christian, missionaries absolutely are a no-no. And lowlanders, when I say lowlanders, I do mean that. Remember, they, they live up in the mountain. We're settled, again, 4,500 feet elevation, but right at the base of Mount Kitanlad, which goes up to 9,600 feet elevation. It's usually up in the clouds. It's clad in Everything's clad in jungle. I mean, monkeys, everything is uh, very wild. These people adore their land, adore their way of life. I found most of them had never been, had never seen the ocean, and they live on an island. Hmm. Now, there's, uh, you know, something to think about, because the island is about... uh, I live in Oregon right now. It's about a third of the size of the state of Oregon. It's a big, big island. But these folks just don't see any point in going down to the water. There's just no point. Um, and uh, being an animist, I uh, observed their, their elders. They would teach constantly. I sat many a, a night around their fires uh, I eventually did learn their language. I can speak it fairly well. Did s- hardly spoke English for better part of three years. And I had to uh, learn how they spoke because I couldn't in building, in clearing this land for my sister and brother-in-law. We chose about three acres. I had to cut down these trees. I needed these workers we had to make two by fours. We had to make four by fours. We had to uh, get nails and all these other things. I had to learn how to say all of that stuff. I couldn't tell a guy, give me, you know, two four by four by eights, cut them this way. I had to say it in their language. Yes, boss. And you know, they off they go and give me pretty close to what it was that we needed. So learning how they spoke uh, was very important. 
but more as important to me so I could blend in and gain their trust is to learn how they thought. Uh, I was very interested in that. What do they feel? I understand you don't like missionaries. Why? And so forth. Now, in the end, these folks came to trust me, and I became an honorary member of the Tala'andig through a ceremony. I know the elders, you know, went on hikes, hunts with them, spoke with them around fires. Just an absolutely incredible set of human beings. They have no concern for politics in our country. Uh, this is not true, especially right now. Right, yeah. They have no concern for the government, no concern for soldiers and any of these types of things. Firearms are illegal in that country. They come armed with sundang, which is a machete, which they make themselves, taught me how to make, and I made uh, a beautiful one for myself in a very old-fashioned way. They hunt, and uh, they constantly carry a spear, pike, and bow and arrow. I made my own through their teaching. I made eight bows, actually, out of uh, various jungle, uh, jungle woods. And I turned around and constructed, after I'd learned what they had to teach me, I constructed a crossbow, oh, wow. which they had never seen before. And they were delighted. I, I would build it, you know, uh, sir, you know, uh, what are you making? No, no, just go away. I'll show you when I'm finished. You know, days when I, and then once I got it done, and I'd make my own arrows as they did. They taught me uh, chicken feathers for uh, the um, arrow and uh, the points and burn it and bend it and so forth. And they saw that crossbow there, very, uh, very pleased. So, I put together a tribal, everybody bring your bow, and I set up targets, and we had a great big contest. It was, it was fun. But those types of things took place with these people. Once you gain their trust and you're in with them, uh, they'll do anything for you. So having said that and giving a background of where they come from, everything was going fairly well, uh, again, until about uh, – Several months into it, the day came where uh, all the permits were done, the boundaries were set. We had uh, permission to, uh, this is for the land, the plot of land, because it had been sitting there since 1980. And I had to go down into uh, the coastal city to apply for all the, uh, yes, we own this land, here is the title and so forth. So it was recognized, so we didn't get into trouble with the government down on the coast. Once I got back up to the mountains, there's a different kind of plan and uh, set of hoops that you have to go through. That was with the elders, and that was with the tribal uh, folks themselves. They do not like cutting trees. That's a no-no, especially certain types. No harming animals unless, uh, you know, they're approved and uh, you are a tribal member. You can't just go. They have beautiful deer up there. You can't just go and shoot and skin gut and eat it. They'll kill you for that. And I'm serious wow. when I say that. Uh, as I mentioned to you in my uh, 
Note a foreigner came up there looking for specifically for hardwoods, had his equipment and his team. They cut down a huge uh, paleta tree, which is a banyan. It's in English, a banyan tree, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that. Yes. And they uh, took only the, uh, the best wood, the heart, the thickest part, and uh, hauled it away. Well, the uh, permission was not asked by this foreigner, and so they put a death sentence on him, a very serious death sentence. I know this because they told me that, you know, uh, you can't cut trees here, sir. You have to see the elders and gain permission. <laughs> Because, you know, otherwise you'll have a death sentence. And look, people get killed in, in those areas. Not that often, but for very strange reasons. Uh, it's just not the safest of places. While I was there, uh, there were many insurgencies. You'd hear gunshots from uh, army incursions, usually landed by helicopter, into the sticks up near Bagalangit, which is about eight kilometers from me. Bagalangit means land before heaven. And it's a tribal area, beautiful area. And there was a shootout with uh, communist insurgents um, there. About 50 yards off of my encampment, a tank pulled out from some trees and fired off five rounds as I was planing some wood, wow. and that scared the hell out of all of us. Yeah, uh, that would get your attention. It, yeah, that was just too close for comfort. But anyway, so once that was uh, made very clear to me, Ira, you have to go and see the elders. And it was told that was told to me by uh, one of the my most trusted uh, sidekick. His name's Ellie. He's a uh, Talandig tribal young man. Uh, who followed me everywhere, and he's the one who pretty much taught me how to say things. And in, in exchange, I would teach him both Spanish, I'm able to speak Spanish as well, and uh, English. So we would exchange lessons on a daily basis. And I knew I had it down when I was in a group of them around a campfire, and I made a joke in their language, <laughs> and everybody laughed. Oh, everybody amazing. laughed. I said, oh, my. They... they they understood me. I was I was psyched at that point. So up we went, and uh, I spoke with uh, the head Datu Vic. Datu, by the way, means lord or chief. Datu Vic, again, was the head of all seven tribal councils. Each tribe had their own Datu or chief. The Talandig people invited me to come and sit with the elders and pose my questions. Uh, so uh, I went, I sat in the village. They're very excited to have a foreigner. I might've been the first one there. I'm not sure. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. But they have uh, very fond memories of the Americans who were there in uh, pre-World War II. And of course, we're very sad because the Americans were captured by the Japanese there. As a matter of fact, it Japanese prison camp was about 10 clicks away, kilometers away from my location, an old uh, prison camp, and that's an off-limits, according to the tribe. It's a sacred place. 
don't go there. Many uh, Americans were killed there and Filipinos. So that's like a burial ground. The older uh, people were very interested that I knew America was from America. Many questions. Is it true this? Is it true that? And I said, you know, yes, we do have large grocery stores. <laughs> you can buy almost anything you want. And yes, we have highways with, uh, you can pass four cars at one time, side by side. Oh, it was just incredible to them. It's, uh, maybe it seemed like a little bit too much, but they just kept pouring on the questions. They wanted to know everything. Remember, these people don't have electricity. They don't have TV. They have a radio uh, at best. That's it. Uh, as you move down toward the coast, now they have cell phones, of course, electricity and population centers, but that's not where I was at. Now, sitting with the elders, they said that they understood, and it had a lot to do with the fact that I was born, as they put it, you became a person in the Philippines. That's how they would say, like you and I would say, Tim, I was born in uh, wherever, you know, born in uh, the East Coast or born in Wisconsin or something. Right. They don't say things like that. They say, you became, where did you become a person? And they liked that very much that, and understood that I was kind of one of them, but I came from the wrong part of the country that they don't like that much. But since I was there amongst them and had worked with them, I paid in cash. I paid very good rates above the uh, whatever they could make in a month. I like tripled it and I paid on time and I treated them well, bought them soft drinks, bought them, you know, we had a good time. We laughed a lot. The elders heard all about all of this. They granted my request to uh, start clearing the land, provided that I follow the very strict instructions of their shaman. And uh, I learned of these instructions. And as I wrote to you, they were made up of several points. Number one, I had to capture trap, live trap, six tikling. Tikling is a jungle chicken. They're extremely fast. They're not like, they're like a skinny picture, skinny athletic chicken, athletic. I mean, that thing can run. They run in groups of maybe a dozen at a time. And uh, the ones that I had to trap must be color black. They have to be black. Most of them are uh, black, brown, sort of, you know, whatever, gray, mixed. Nah, this had to be, these had to be pure black, six of them. And they had to be kept alive. So out went the snares. I learned how to set the snares because we had to capture them by the leg, not around the neck. And I had to capture six. So now beyond that, I had to get raw tobacco, easy, buy it from them. I went up and worked with uh, one of the men who uh, farms tobacco harvested it, chopped it with an ancient sort of paper cutter type contraption that he built to cut it into shreds, dried it and all of this. So I had the tobacco and gin, some coins, 
and uh, hard candies that they eat up there. That's uh, essentially this boiled sugar cane with uh, various types of food coloring and other little flavorings from some nuts up there. These uh, folks are very fond of beetle nut. You ever seen the... I thought it was just in South America. I didn't know it was in the Philippines, but the tribes who chew on this beetle nut that uh, they mix with uh, lime leaf and some alum powder, and they stick it in their mouth, and it sort of keeps them going and suppresses appetite. This is uh, very common up there. I have pictures of the three of the chiefs making me a beetle nut chew. To be polite, I stuck it in my mouth and I did what they did, you know, just keep it in the back of your mouth like you do chewing tobacco. And that stuff will send you to the moon, I tell you. Sent me to the moon. <laughs> I hated it. But it turns your teeth orange also. Oh, wow. Uh, very uh, nasty looking. Yeah, some of their teeth are really bad. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So I'm up there... Uh and I have now the permission, I have to get these various things, uh, the uh, tobacco easy, the candy easy, bottle of gin or alcohol, but they specifically said gin. And uh, the trapping of the chickens took several weeks. Once we trapped it, we put it in a bamboo cage there at the house at the uh, camp. And finally we had six. I sent word up that we had everything that we needed. And I don't know, it was a day or so later, down comes uh, the shaman with uh, my sidekick, Ellie, and they wanted to take a look. Everything was approved, so yeah, we can start the uh, ceremony. said, okay. So he wanted to cut to uh, look at the first trees we were going to cut and that we should cut the largest trees first. Okay, so we uh, selected the six trees. They were very big, about three and three-quarter, four-foot diameter at the base, about 100 foot tall, Acacia manjum. And these trees sat on, if you can, I'm going to try and describe, the jungle road, which is a dirt path about as wide as one pickup truck. That is the path that goes through the forest up into the village. And on one side of that path, it's level. 
On the other side, it's an incline of about six degrees and it gets steeper and steeper going all the way down about 40 to 45 meters, about 45 meters down to a river at the bottom of a canyon, a ravine. And then from that river on the other side, up goes the canyon way up a lot higher. And that's just thick jungle. All of that is. Well, that jungle road, those trees, they were on our property. That's where we wanted to cut them. That's where we decided to uh, have, because of no tractors, no mechanized, have the water buffalo and the men who owned them. We would peg each felled tree with uh, five-inch spikes, wrap chain around it, wrap that to uh, attach that to the water buffalo, and they'd haul it in 12-foot sections that we would cut with chainsaw up to we needed a level landing area right near that jungle road so that we could, you know, truck it out or move it whenever needed. And that's why I chose that location. So that location really, really needed to be cleaned up and we did that. We, uh, it was fairly level to start with. We did about, uh, we cleared an area of about, about, I don't know, 30 yards by 20 yards. I think in meters for so long now. <laughs> um, but that, that landing was created right next to the jungle path. But now picture that landing was the only, really the only level spot beyond it it shot down to that river below and it's completely uh, thick with jungle. So he uh, cleared it with some dung, with, with machete and so forth. We cut down some little trees that were on it. And what we wound up with was a, a clearing that had sheer walls of jungle on both sides. I mean, uh, thick and the clearing itself was fairly clean and uh, the water buffalo could drag up and get those logs up onto that clearing with a lot of effort, but we did it anyway. So the shaman uh, showed up and we had the chickens and we went to the clearing because that's where the uh, first uh, trees were and we performed the ceremony. The ceremony was to cut the... uh, neck of the chicken and he had uh, the tickling bird and he handed me one and you squeeze it on the tree as he is doing um, incantations or chanting things that he did and we squirted the uh, or uh, squeezed the blood all around the uh, radius of the tree trunk that we're going to cut and he lit the tobacco did his arrangement of the uh, candies, the money, and he drank, or not drank, but filled his mouth with gin and spewed it onto the tree trunk. And imagine, as he did this, he then looks up to the sky and not yells, but, you know, says something that was appeasing to their spirits. Everything is uh, spirits to these folks. So once that was done, we did that to all six trees. 
he said, we're ready to go. Now, that's where the main man, Lino, came into uh, play. He is uh, very unusually large. Filipinos are usually less than six foot. Lino is six foot eight inches. Always barefoot and just a giant of a man. Huge hands. Chainsaws in that region, that whole island are illegal. You must have a permit to even buy a chainsaw, much less wield it. Well, Lino was a certified chainsawman, and he had a great big steel chainsaw uh, with about a three and a half foot bar on it. So that was good to take down whatever trees we needed to. He went to work, and we ended up that day uh, finishing up with uh, cutting the trees down, which is a dramatic thing if you've never seen that happen. Uh, I've got some on videotape, but it is, it's quite something. What's even more quite something than that is once it's cut down, you've got to go buck the branches. Well, that tree fell into deep jungle. It's full of snakes, cobra, uttu uttu. Uttu uttu is a type of cobra. Uttu means lunch. Uttu uttu, the snake's name, the tribal name is lunch lunch. Why? Because, sir, if you're bitten saumaga, if you're bitten in the morning, you're dead at lunch. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, to go down and buck all those branches was, you're bitten by everything you can imagine. And you just got to sit there and take it. And then uh, cut the uh, 12-foot lengths, get and have the water buffalo drag it up onto the landing. Well, that went really well. We uh, got pretty much the whole thing in very good situation and uh, called it a day, uh, and everybody come back the next day. Now, who is everybody? At that point, I was left with Lino, the giant chainsaw guy, my buddy, and Ellie, my sidekick, about 22 years old at that time, and I had... uh, the two water buffalo men, Sir Francis was their leader. And then I had uh, these uh, sort of gopher guys. Uh, and all of them came back the next morning. We were ready to rock and roll. And at about 7.30, 7.15, 7.30 in the morning, bright, beautiful, sunny day. Perfect. Uh, and so looked at the clearing, looked at the work we had done, and okay, boys, you know, we, uh, remember, we started out with six trees. We ended up cutting down 178 giant trees. Uh, And that whole project took their part of three years. Um, Now, that morning, uneventful, everything went well. Uh, about 11 o'clock, I walk the uh, kilometer and a half or so back up to encampment just to sit down and take a break. My my men are taking a break. I'm eating a bacon sandwich, drinking coffee. My dog Mike's right next to me. And right as soon as uh, we're done, Mike's head pops up. I said, what's the matter, boy? I remember this. Just clear as a bell. And he starts growling, low growl. 
and he's looking out across the field toward the jungle road there. And I didn't even stand up, but I heard distinct yelling, sir, in English, the word sir, sir, sir. And I, then I stood up and I tried to look. There I saw across the field, little figure running down the jungle path, jungle road, uh, and then getting ready to turn in, cross the field and come to me the whole while yelling, sir, sir. There is, I'm trying to speak in English because I'm so tempted to, there is capre, there is capre, come quickly. They're all leaving. They're all leaving. They're running. And I said, you know, by this time, he's about uh, 20 yards from me, running up to me, and I just stop him and grab him. I said, Ellie, what? I don't yari mo. What is the matter with you? Is there a wound? Is there uh, uh, blood? Is there bandits? You know, that's a, a thing that happens there. No, no. My capre. I see my capre. Sorry. There is Capre, capre. I said, okay, look. He said, they're all running and leaving. I grabbed the medical bag, which I always have around my uh, person there. I just grab it. But it's just, you know, not, it's just regular uh, emergency bag supplies, nothing for any horrible big accident. And start running back. We start running back down the road. Just to be clear, they're saying this, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I'll try it. This Capre, is that close? Yes, K-A-P-R-E. You don't know uh, what this word means at this point? No. So, no. so they're saying a word you don't uh, understand. Uh, I don't understand. I just uh, didn't register with me at all, you know. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't know their language 100% or what right. they call all these different things. And these people believe in everything, Tim, from absolutely fairies or they call it duende which is little tiny people that live in the forest and the trees under your house in your closet they they you know they have so many different uh creatures that they believe um i don't want to call them mythological creatures because i respect these people and their beliefs very highly so Whatever. What is Capra? I don't know. Maybe another one of those things. I just hadn't heard of it. So uh, I just start running because clearly an emergency has happened. Mm-hmm. And my dog Mike's already down the road. Uh, Ellie is behind me. And as we hit the jungle road uh, running down, here come both water buffalo drivers, Sir Francis and his uh, boy or his friend or whatever uh, on their buffaloes. This, you know, it's a water buffalo. Uh, we call it calabao, parabao. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what that is? Uh, big I mean, I've horns. Seen, I've seen photos. Yeah. Usually, see, yeah, in photos they're like pulling rice paddy right. clouds or yeah, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and here they're coming toward us at a gallop. And uh, Francis is just whipping the hind end of his. And uh, as I told you, these things, like, you never see them gallop. They're just, you know, lumbering big creatures, mm-hmm. not runners. And as they went by, you know, I sort of went to the side of the road. I said, Francis, 
You know, come up with a Where are you going? Nothing. They just breezed right by. So I'm headed down. The clearing is just ahead. Ellie's behind me. He stops. He ain't going any further. Mike is already, my dog is already down there. And the uh, other workers are either have left or are preparing to leave. Uh, and I said, you know, what happened? What happened? Uh, we will not, we will not come back here anymore. Uh, and left. They didn't care about, I mean, they still had pay coming, Tim, you know, for the work they did. Mm-hmm. They never came back for it. Wow. They just weren't going to come back there anymore. And the only one that was left was Lino. He didn't run. He's just standing right there looking at me. And I said, Lino, <laughs> God, Lino, what happened here? Because I can see there's no angry. There's no, like, anything. These people just took off. Lino just says, Capre, boss. Capre. And I just looked at him. I said, what? Capre. It is really big. Very, very big. Two. Dalawang ulo. That ulo means head. Dalawat means two. Two heads taller than himself. Then Lino, and he puts his arms hand up above his head. And I'm looking at his hand. I remember looking at his hand. I said, what came? I'm thinking, what is this like? What, what, what is he talking about? He said, it came from there. And I turned. Remember, Ellie is down the road. He is scared you know, whatless, he's not coming over to this landing. Lino's on the road. I jump down because he's pointing to the wall of the landing that uh, was, used to be, just sheer jungle because I cut that whole section myself. And it's got a big hole in it. And I'm looking at this hole like an elephant, I, you know, it was taller than a water buffalo. Water buffalo coming through the jungle, if they're led, I guess they would. But this hole was two water buffaloes high, higher. It was just a big hole. And I looked at it, and he said, John there it came inside. It entered. And I look at this hole. I said, What? And he continued to uh, point at the big stump of the tree, the biggest down. And he said, it, he said, he, not it, he walked to there. And apparently he was describing a very tall animal that uh, is called a capre, I've researched it since, uh, is an animal that is a Philippine folklore well before the Americans, well before the Spanish. This is uh, ancient Philippine mythology throughout the tribes. It's called different names on different islands. 
apparently, but uh, it is a tall creature that lives in the largest jungle trees. It uh, is the guardian of the forest and watches over everything in the forest all the time. I didn't know that at this point. That's what I uh, learned from the uh, shaman and the elders. But I'm looking at Reno, and he's just describing this giant thing called a capre came right out through there. It, he told me he, he did not hear it. We didn't hear it because we were running the water buffaloes pulling this giant log uphill. We turned, the, the carabaoman saw it first. He freaked out. Lino saw him freak out and turned and saw this thing. He was only about maybe 12, 15 feet. I'd say 12 feet from where it stood. Oh, wow. He said it turned and looked right at his face, Lino said. It turned and looked at me, boss. And then it looked at the tree, the stump, and, and the whole time it walked, stooped forward at the waist with its fists clenched, both fists, and walked in that stooped fashion toward that stump, bent over fully to look at it, took a couple steps around it and looked at it, and then stood up and looked toward the other stumps downhill and started walking down that way. Lino said it went all the way down and then kept going down toward the river. Now, the river, I'll describe, this is maybe about at maximum 20 feet wide. It's a running river with giant boulders in it and severe jungle on both sides. I'd been down there four times. And the four times was just to go down and get wild orchids. They are beautiful. They hang off uh, the trees down there. And to me, it was worthy risk because I wanted those. It was harrowing each of the four times because to go down that way, even the locals don't like going down that way. I brought uh, a couple of my boys with me. You slip on the uh, slope, you can't grab for a tree branch just like you normally would, reflex, because that tree, so many, most of the trees are with these little green vipers. They're only about a foot long, bright, bright green. They're the color of the leaves. You can't see them, and they'll bite, they'll bite you just like that. And yes, they're poisonous. So it's quite a, you have to be very, very careful to go down there in the first place and have a good reason. I guess I was stupid going down four times and, uh, but I came back with some beautiful orchids, but you know, this thing, Lino said, walk down to Sailog, to the river. And as it got out of sight, he said the last he saw, it turned to the right and went right back into the deep jungle. And I looked where he uh, showed me it went, and by God, right there, the 
the jungle was just trampled down, just like where it came in. But the, at that part where he went downhill, where it went downhill, there weren't any tall jungle trees. It was high, high jungle brush. So, you know, maybe uh, five, six foot high, but you could see a path cut clear through it. Something big, like a water buffalo, went down toward the river there. And uh, I wasn't about to go down and take a look. Um, <laughs> so that really uh, was confusing, very, very confusing to me. And uh, I was a little bit pissed off. We're, you know, what, what the hell? And they tell me they're not coming back. What is this? Well, that was, again, broad daylight. By then, it was about close to noon, broad daylight, all of this happened. I went into that tunnel, and this is uh, something I didn't mention in my note to you. I walked into that entrance point, that big open, and I walked, I want to see what is in there. Where did this thing come from? What is this? A big man? And I knew about Sasquatch. I'm in the States. I am very familiar. Didn't think it existed in Mindanao, in the mountains, in the Philippines. There's just no way. It can't be. But it sounded exactly to me. That's what Lino was describing to me. A mm -hmm. giant creature, all black, as he put it, so black, which means like a walking shadow. And uh, I just uh, was confused. Anyway, I went into that entry tunnel that uh, this thing created, and I walked in about 10 meters, maybe 12 meters. That's uh, call a meter a yard. I mean, 30 feet, maybe 40 feet in. You, as high as I can reach, stuff was pushed over, Tim, cracked, snapped. And then at the deepest part, down into the uh, 10, 12 meter part, about 30, 40 feet, right as I got in, it just stopped. Hmm. Perfect jungle. Everything was perfect. At the very base, at that very end, there's a Caliandra tree, which is a good thick trunk tree, but only about a foot, foot and a half diameter on average beautiful long bright red uh, flowers in season it had been it, it was leaning over it was cracked at the base at the base of the tree it was like a like a truck smashed into it and knocked the tree over and the uh, rest of the jungle right around it was untouched I went back and visited that spot several times in uh, subsequent days. Uh, Ellie would not come with me. Nobody would come with me. The uh, news spread quickly to the village, to uh, all the elders, all the villages around that a uh, copra had been seen. The uh, problem was that uh, nobody was going to come down. Project was done. I, no one would work for me. I uh, short-waved my uh, brother-in-law, my sister up in Manila. Briefly what happened, and everything's at now a standstill.
Then we've got the um, subsequent uh, visit from the shaman. It was only within uh, just a very, very short time. He came down to visit. He wanted to go take a look at where this happened. He brought along with him uh, another man, tribal man, and uh, they both walked down to the landing with me. And uh, Ellie hung back, uh, and they said, uh, you have to come here and tell us what you saw and what happened. Well, Ellie did that. He uh, came down with me, and uh, I think I mentioned the whole, he's got his arm wrapped around my arm. (laughs) He told the shaman and uh, this other gentleman, the other gentleman was a man named Sir Wawai. I called them Sir out of respect uh, before their name. You can also call them Bai, B-A-I, that means friend. But uh, that's too familiar. So when you're amongst elders, you say sir mm-hmm. uh, instead. And uh, Sir Wawai and the shaman listened intently. And uh, the shaman asked me to uh, go back up onto the road with Ellie. Sir Wawai, turns out, is their uh, keeper of all things. Uh, the word would be enchantment. Music, storytelling uh, of the olden ways, things like that. It kind of their folklore. Yeah, yeah, the head of uh, Talandig tribe, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic man, uh, and a good friend now, too. Sir Wawai sat on the stump of uh, the stump, the very first stump where the uh, Kapra leaned over and he began to uh, sing and chant. Lasted a good while, um, cross-legged on the stump, uh, pointing to the sky, to the ground, around him, and that was it. Uh, it was beautiful to watch. For me, it was extremely entertaining uh, to watch this. And the shaman said that uh, maybe we cannot proceed. Um, He has to, uh, you know, uh, decide and have a conference and talk with Mr. Wawai, Sir Wawai, etc., and the other elders. But it looks like perhaps we cannot proceed. We have to find out why this happened. Because it was such an unusual event, nothing like this had occurred up there, except in legend of their grandparents' days, you know, uh, ancestor days. No copra has shown themselves course no one up there has uh, come up and uh, started lopping off trees either i suppose right i don't know so that's it everything stopped for weeks uh for yeah at least a couple weeks as i recall it was uh mr uh wawai uh and uh he came down into camp and said that the uh Shaman and the elders wanted to see me. They have made a decision. So I went up with Ellie and uh, Sir Wawai. They had a a little bit of a sing-song sort of a festival going on. I bought a pig. That's the second one I bought. Uh, As the guest of honor, I had to kill it with a pike. Um, After all of it, it takes hours to roast a pig. You know, you can't just... 
so there's lots of conversation, exchange of uh, question and answer, etc. While this thing is uh, the feast is being prepared, it's wonderful. But in the end, hours later, the announcement was made by uh, the shaman that we had done everything correctly in their view, his view and the other's view, that the spirit of the forest, the boss man, the capre, showed itself to make sure that we had done, this is in uh, their opinion, make sure that we had done everything correctly. And we had. So we must do everything again, capture the six black birds, uh, tobacco, the whole thing, and we must do everything again one more time. Well, we did. Uh, it took me uh, a while, took us a while to trap the tickling birds. And um, the uh, word was sent up that uh, we have everything, and off we went. Down we came and replayed the whole deal, but this time with uh, Sir Huawei, with uh, an extremely strange, like a long, I call it, the closest thing is a sitar. Okay. This is an Indian sort of uh, string instrument, mm -hmm. but this is the Talandig's version of a sitar. This had three strings on it, but he played it with his fingers and he played it with a bow. Incredible sound, incredible. We did the ceremony, ceremonies all done. Um, it was uh, just a fantastic thing that, you know, we were able to uh, carry on because I really did think the whole project would be stopped according to, uh, you know, everything that we'd done. We did it all correctly. We, uh, sacrifice the chickens, did the tobacco, the gin, and uh, was told by Shaman and Sir Wawai with the elders that we would be able to continue. Now, continue we did, but nobody would stay there to watch the cut logs, to guard over the property, to guard my camp. Once it turned dark, everybody disappeared. I mean, it's like clockwork, 6 o'clock p.m., sun goes down, no daylight savings time, no real season change. They just disappeared. So I lived for months in the dark with just me and my dog, Mike. And I'll tell you what, after that whole event, it gets pretty spooky. You're jumping at every noise there. Wow. But uh, after three years, the project was done, built some uh, cleared land, beautiful um, three buildings that we built. Unfortunately, uh, the civil unrest situation has just gotten worse. So it's doubtful. I want it to go back right now, November. Uh, but I don't know when I'll be able to go back to see them. I did buy Ellie a modern uh, like an iphone a samsung telephone galaxy and taught him how to use it uh, to send back and forth messenger messages and pictures and he uh, has been doing so i bought him a one-year they call it load 
you buy, uh, you know, use for one year. Mm-hmm. And that year just about up. It'll be uh, up at the uh, beginning of December. Um, but yeah, I just talked to him uh, within the last 24 hours. They're still there. It's very odd to be here and the luxury we have in the United States and those folks I know and I can picture what they're doing way, way up in those mountains roll the mist and, you know, plowing their fields and no electricity, no nothing. But you know what? They're the happiest people I've ever, ever run into. They're wonderful. Wow. So, uh, how many years did you and end I up staying? I think I covered a... Uh, with them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, them, I stayed uh, a little over three years, solid. And um, I just left to go to Hong Kong to uh, get out of the country and come back in and renew my uh, visa about three times. Uh, but I just go strictly, uh, it's, it's just an hour and a half plane jet flight from Mindanao to Manila. And then another hour and five minutes from Manila to Hong Kong. So I would do the whole thing in one day. I just mm-hmm. get up in the morning, fly to Hong Kong, and be back by uh, eight, nine at night up in the jungle. Other than that, that's I didn't leave there. I just stayed there the whole time. I loved it. I was very sad to leave. But uh, you know, there's a kidnapping of foreigners um, for oh yeah money and. Mm-hmm. The uh, hills are very well populated with uh, New People's Army, NPA, uh, communist guerrillas. They tend to target places when I finally did get electricity, which was about early 2000, maybe Feb, March 2017. So that was, uh, God, 2015 to then, no electricity. Well, we had lights. If you're a communist guerrilla living up in the mountains, all of a sudden you see this place with these lights on. Oh, yeah. You know, down there, well, that's kind of your target. So it went. But uh, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I'll be back one day for sure. Oh, it sounds like such an adventure. Those are good folks. It sounds like such an amazing adventure. I mean, wow. it was an adventure. It was, Tim. I tell you what, but uh, I don't think if you volunteered to come with me or any uh, any other sort of American or foreign folks, they would want out of there like the first day. <laughs> I, bet. I knew they would. I, bet. I knew they would. Yeah. Get me the heck out of here. Where are we? <laughs> yeah. The idea that the uh, Capre live in trees, this is not... Yes terribly unusual when it comes to Bigfoot. Uh, Many people have asserted this, both in native cultures and actually some people in the modern Bigfoot community have asserted that that they, if not live there, they have something, you know, very close to do with trees. You know, I've got a concern. I did not know that. I had no notion that they stayed in, I don't know where they live, but... right. Well, I, I didn't think in trees. Well, it's considered kind of more from the, I guess, the woo side of things, you know, people, the more supernatural side of things. But it, it is a notion that is out there. I, yeah. I, I ran into it several times in uh, in writing the book I'm currently writing. And uh, so it's, you know, again, both in the U.S. and in tribal cultures and, and in, you know, modern, you know, non-tribal Bigfoot 
culture, several people have asserted that. Um, there's even, uh, I think one of the Survivor Man Bigfoot episodes, they talk about it, and uh, they said he puts his ear to a tree and he could hear knocking in the tree, and I think they said, I don't want to talk out of bounds, but I believe there was a First Nations person that was saying something about them living in, in trees there. I'm, I may be incorrect about that. But uh, in, yeah, in any case, great, I've heard... I'm sorry? Great respect for uh, First Nations, whatever they say. I, I listen intently. Absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not an unheard of concept. Now, when you say you followed that, that hole back into the jungle... Yes, sir. Yeah. And that, then there was just the... You said there was like the one big tree that was... Was it pushed over or...? Uh, no chop marks. That's all I can tell you. I say uh, it looked like it was uh, either a buffalo ran into it, a truck, but the truck would have left marks. Mm-hmm. There were no scuff marks, no nothing. The tree was snapped about a foot and a half above its base. And it was about, uh, like I said, about four inches diameter or so. About, about, a, about a foot in diameter, I mean to say. And... It was snapped and laying on its side, fully alive. Mm-hmm. Branches, everything, leaves, it was all there. So it had, it was fresh. It had just been done. Uh, and it was a good, uh, from that point to the road, maybe 10 meters, maybe 30 feet from the road itself and down slope. So there was nothing in there that would have lightning strike. Why did I? No, no. That was fresh and and uh, snapped. Wow, that's what I called it, so, and so, uh, that's why I went back to revisit. But why was nothing else? The trail just ended. Right, and that's just, that's what I was ended. getting to. Did it seem like? I mean, again, this is kind of you know more supernatural side of things. But it, did it seem like would like it just materialized there in some way? That's all I can figure. Uh, I There was no gigantic tree where it dropped down from. There was none. There was a lot of gigantic trees there. That was the that whole area from that wall that we cleared on the landing and onward to uh, the north toward Kitanlad. We didn't cut any trees from that landing wall all inward toward up the upslope to the mountain. We didn't cut anything. So there were giant trees all over. There are huge ones, like what we had cut. However, there were none on that trail. Like they say, they live in trees. Well, and I look around. Did he drop from it some giant tree and create a path to uh, where I'm standing? Nope, no giant tree there. Wow. It just it just ended. So I don't know where I, I really I don't know where it came from. There was nothing disturbed. I you know I love to uh, do tracking. I learned a lot of tracking from these folks. Uh, believe me, they are absolute experts. And uh, my teacher was a man named Sir Roddy. Sir Roddy's 82 years old. He showed up one day and volunteered to uh, climb up and uh, hammer together my roof rafters to uh, my own little house that I was building. And that roof was 32 feet high. And he climbed up there like a monkey, hung on like a monkey, barefoot, grabbing nails, hammering them in, hang on with one arm. Fantastic athletic uh, ability for an 82-year-old. 82, 82 he, wow. 
82 years old and all of maybe uh, not even five feet, maybe four eight. Oh, wow. He took off his shirt uh, every day to work. And you talk about just straight sinew and muscle, every square inch of that man. And uh, the first day he arrived for work, he came with a gummy a rice sack and there was blood stained rice sack. And he came up to me and I was uh, squatting. He asked me, uh, can he build a fire? And I said, sure, go ahead. And he built a fire about 11, just before Uttu, lunchtime. He built a fire. And I was nearby, uh, sitting on a rock. I wanted to see what was in that dang bag. And he pulled the bag, upended it, and out fell the body of a good-sized monkey. It's a macaque monkey they have up there with only half the body cut vertical no head, and then from the middle of the neck down to the groin, cut in half. So you had one arm, one leg, you know, one set of ribs, just that side. And he hair and everything was still on it. He threw that on the fire and burned the hair off and then just laid it on there. That was his lunch. He asked me if I wanted some. I said, no, no, sorry, I'm already uh, full. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already full. <laughs> But yeah, that was something else. The uh, but he was a tracker guy, and he taught me uh, a lot of that stuff. I wanted to bring him in there. He everybody had heard about all of this. Everybody in all the surrounding hills. Nobody wanted. I was a crazy person just to get them to go on the landing itself. Wow, was a big deal because we kept the landing. We we kept that and stacked all the logs up there to season. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're very nervous. Like I said, at dark, off they went. Before dark. Mm-hmm. Other than the description of the sort of walking shadow they gave to you, did, did they describe it anymore? Lino, I asked him, uh, May Buhok, is there hair? Yes, boss, but very black. All itum, like kalambong, like a shadow extremely no no noise no uh i didn't sense any aroma or leftover sometimes that's associated with the mm-hmm. backlog but none uh yeah i didn't detect any scent and uh, according to lino it had no resemblance because i asked him but is it like a monkey and he said no Tao. that means man oh, okay. not any resemblance to, uh, you know, a monkey. Uh, I don't know if they know what apes are, but mm-hmm. they you know monkeys, but nothing related to uh, a monkey. It was a, a hairy man. Man, tao. That's the, the term for man, per- person. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's, you know, I, I, didn't, I did not ask him what did the... Uh, Teeth? Was it sharp teeth? I didn't ask him any of that. Right. I wish I did now. According to him, it was a dead silent, quiet, no snort, nothing. It just walked, you know, crunching on the ground through the bush, stopped at that tree, bent with its fists, both fists clenched and bent over slightly at the waist. That's how it walked. 
bent over slightly at the waist with the fist clenched. Really odd. I don't know. Yeah. So, was the ground such that you could could have even seen footprints, or was there just no way to even look for them? No, nah, there's no way. Uh, like I said, draw peas, and, and it had uh, we had a lot of, um, especially on the landing, a bunch of uh, crammed down um, what was left over from our cuttings. Mm-hmm. But there was just no no prints. It was dry. It was very hard. That's that's purposefully why we chose then, because we knew if it was going to be rainy or muddy, it'd be hell to drag those logs up and all that. So <clears throat> we had to get it done during that time of year. Mm. So yeah, there's nothing as far as prints. I looked, believe me. And now that I'm back in the states, uh, as I mentioned, I'm kind of obsessed. What in the hell was this? They are absolutely, they've got to be there. And so now I spend, uh, I've been back close to a year now, and I've just, uh, all last spring and summer and this fall, I've just been going to most remote spots up in the mountains here in Oregon, looking up uh, across uh, where are Bigfoot sightings, where is this location? And I head up there just with me and my dog, Mike, and park the truck, set camp, and stay out a couple, two, three nights. Not that I want to run into one. I'm looking only for sign. Mm-hmm. Sign uh, prints, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, various, as you see on uh, some of these shows with the branches leaning together, make a teepee shape or yeah. whatever I can find. Uh, and I'm not going to stop doing that. I, I cannot wait until it warms up. As a matter of fact, I'll probably go out on uh, first snow is coming, I think, next week out here. So I'm going to head up to uh, the foothills of the Cascades because snow prints, they're good enough for me. I'm going to go and uh, take a look out Table Rock Wilderness, a lot of sightings out there. And that's only about uh, 40 minutes from my house enter the wilderness there. And it's pretty vast. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm afraid I'm stuck. Uh, I've got to, uh, and I'm retired, so I have time. Uh, I've got to go out and see what's up with all of this. I just uh, can't get out of my head. It's immensely interesting to me. Yeah. It just is. Oh, oh I, I'm right it there really, with you. You, you catch the bug, and, and uh, it's hard to get rid of it. As far as I did not know that you had authored books on the subject. I did not know that. So I'm going to have to go, and uh, and I just ran across this. What did I listen to last night? Was it The Witch Diggers? or? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I've just listened to so many, but the person who you were talking to, they mentioned your book on Bigfoot in, is it Pennsylvania or have, the East Coast somewhere? I have Bigfoot in Pennsylvania was my first one. That's all historical articles. There you are. That was my first Bigfoot book. I did another book on kind of local folklore. And then I did uh, West Coast Wild Men, which is the same thing for California, Oregon, and Washington State. It's all like newspaper collection. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do the whole country eventually, but uh, I'm working. The book I'm working on now is... It has to do with all the kind of weird stuff that's associated with uh, Bigfoot that uh, makes it really, really hard to explain. Uh, you know, things like disappearing trackways, almost kind of like you're, you're sort of disappearing, I wouldn't a trackway, but, you know, whatever it went back that far, it just ended. 
so things like that yes sir are the kind of uh, kind of things we're covering in this book well i don't i don't know i don't even know what to uh what are your feelings on that because i've uh i mean it's totally perplexing what happens to you what on earth uh do you think and eh, never mind i don't know <laughs> i I I have no idea. I I allow I have myself no idea how uh, I allow myself to uh change opinions regularly. I think that's healthy. Uh where I am right now with it is that yeah. I don't think it's a natural creature. Now, if it is, it has abilities that that no other natural creature on the planet does, which would, you know, that makes it very very unique. But I'm at the point now where I'm kind of in agreement with you know, a lot of the First Nations people, and there's a long history of wild men in, in European culture, too. And uh, yes. by far, most of them say it's, it's not a natural thing. It's a, it's a you know, some sort of supernatural creature. And uh, that's kind of where I'm, I'm leaning now. Although, you know, there are certain things that make it sound a lot like a natural creature. You know, I have to admit that. There are, there are a lot of things that, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, it acts like it has known sort of primate behavior. So that, you know, I have to admit that. So I don't know. My answer is, I, it's truthfully, I don't know, but uh, I, I love the mystery and I'm going to, I'm going to keep at it. I don't think I'll solve it, but I'll, I'll have fun. I'll have fun looking into it. Yo, gosh, well, I'll be out there doing the same thing, hunting, uh, hunting away. But I will tell you to these, uh, to the Talandic people, this is um, something to be celebrated because, and they, it really was something to be celebrated because I wasn't a bad guy. We did everything right. We went through the elders. We went through the shamans and rules. We did everything correctly. And the copra came. And according to the shaman, we did everything well it, with respect. They think it's wonderful. It's wonderful. In other words, uh, we are all in the good grace, we didn't violate, you know, the, the overseer of the forest. We, we did the right thing. Uh, Sir Ira did the right thing also. And because of that, I, I got to admit, I, I really received a lot of respect and kinship from them after that whole event the, because uh, I went along with their ways. But look, they, uh, to them, it's, it's just like uh, any other day. The things in the forest are many and mysterious, and they accept and respect each and every one of them. I mentioned the little people, the fairy uh, things. Mm -hmm. It's quite a mindset, and I love it. I really uh, love the folks, and I love the way they think. And uh, well, they're they're living in I'll, in. Uh you know, concert with the land, you know, and they've, they've been there for yeah. however many millennia they've been there. Yes. You have to listen to their stories. You know, you, yes. can, you can try to explain them away if you want, but you listen to what they're saying. That's, I mean, I really feel that way. Like there's, there's gotta be some real wisdom there. There's a reason why these stories are passed down. I agree. I agree uh, wholeheartedly. It's just, uh, it's just a wealth of knowledge that uh, I guess you know modern society chooses to ignore because they instead look at these folks as being backward, and they're not backward. Hell, they're happier and less stressed out than you and I living amongst all our comforts here. I'm they really are. I'm absolutely sure of it. Absolutely sure of it. Yeah. 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 
Well, Ira, I'll uh, I'll be happy uh, to send some pictures to you. Yeah, awesome. You're as good a storyteller as your story is good. You're a fantastic storyteller. Thank you so much. Oh, good gosh. Thanks very much to you. (laughs) It was a pleasure. Thanks for the interest. I really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. I will have some photos up at strangefamiliars.com under this episode that Ira sent me so you can see some of the things and some of the people he was talking about in the episode. I want to thank Ira once again. Wonderful, wonderful story. So happy to be able to feature it on Strange Familiars. If you are local, if you are in South Central Pennsylvania and you want something to do on Black Friday that isn't shopping, Chad is hosting a hike for Strange Familiars listeners. This is not an official Strange Familiars event, but if you'd like to accompany Chad on a hike in Michaud, you can do so Friday, this coming Friday. For more information, check out the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. Chad has the information up there. If you're a patron, you can find it on our Discord server. Do not miss next week's show. Next week's show features a Franciscan monk named Brother Richard, who talks about the other in some very, very wonderful ways and the contemplative Christian tradition and how the other is talked about and dealt with in his tradition. It is a amazing interview. So make sure you guys come back next week and check out my talk with Brother Richard. We will be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars. Thanks again, patrons. And remember, you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more, darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. And we are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. Hi, Timothy. This is Sean calling. I read a little story on a Discord server about a woman who had seen her father in uh, a ghost car, basically. So I wanted to relay this happening to you and your listeners. In 2001, I was driving back from Virginia to Pennsylvania with my father's ashes. I saw a car drive by out of the corner of my eye, and a split second later, I thought, am I seeing things? Was that a Buick LeSabre? Not only a LeSabre, but the same model and color that my father bought in 1976 as the family car. The old American gas-guzzling boat style of car. There may be a model left from that era in someone's hands, but I haven't seen one in decades. It looked like one of the rear side panels had been replaced with a different color, but the rest of the car was the same green as our car. The driver was male. I was so shocked that I sped up to 80 or 90 miles an hour to verify if that's what I saw. The road ran through a wooded area with only the occasional long residential dirt drive coming off of it. I kept up the chase for several miles until we hit a stoplight, at which point I gave up. 
it may have driven down one of those drives or it may have just gotten too far ahead of me to catch up. My mother was with me in the car, and I asked her if she had seen Ola Saber, and she said no. My brother was driving the same route in another car, and I later asked him, and he said no. Perhaps the car was not Ola Saber, and my mind converted it into one, as I only saw it for the briefest instant and out of the corner of my eye at that. It even took a second or two for the impression to register. But of all the cars we passed, none of them resembled what I saw. Also, I wanted to relate this little thing that happened uh, in the same trip. A day or two earlier, my brother and I were in a car in Virginia, and a stick song came on the radio. It was a song where there was some clapping in the middle of it. My family lived in Hong Kong in the 80s and had this album on the car cassette player, not the LeSabre, by the way. The roads in Hong Kong are mountainous and twisting, so my father would take his hands off the wheel and clap along with the tape to scare us. Long odds to hear a stick song on the radio in 2001, let alone this song, but we did. We also heard a country song with lyrics describing a father looking down on his son from heaven. So those are the little uh, stories I wanted to relate. Best wishes for your podcast and other ventures. Bye now. Will speak. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.